Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Tonight on the Hinckley Report, a record number of Utah voters turn out on Super Tuesday and make their mark on the direction of the presidential election. The legislative session enters its final days as lawmakers hustle to pass bills. And as the country reacts to the coronavirus, state leaders lay out their plan to handle the potential health crisis. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Jason Lee, journalist with the Deseret News, Kate Bradshaw, director of government affairs at Holland and Hart and Bountiful City Councilwoman, and Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13 News. So glad to have you all with us tonight. I wanna to jump right into the great event of this week, Super Tuesday. The very first time Utah has ever participated in a Super Tuesday as a primary like this for the presidential race. Max, was this successful? Get, rate how this thing is in terms of how Utah performed in this. Well, in terms of, if, for Utah, I, I think there's no question that it was successful. There, there was good voter turnout. We're still, votes are still trickling in, but we're getting upwards of 35% participation, yeah. which is really big for a primary. Uh, we had, from my industry's point of view, uh, there, there was a lot of money spent on advertising uh, for Super Tuesday in Utah, although the lion's share of that came from uh, Mike Bloomberg, so. So you're all very sad about that so one. That, that he dropped out of the race? Yeah. I don't think he was gonna spend a lot more. <laughs> Utah advertising now. anyway after Super Tuesday. But no, I think it was a big deal. And, and Utah, most importantly, Utah got attention from candidates. And that, that is really key. That's why uh, Patrice Arendt's bill to put Utah on the Super Tuesday calendar uh, was put in place in the first place, and it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, Kate, I want to ask about a couple of these voter turnout issues because it, it was amazing. 35% is what it looks like we're going to get of, of turnout of registered voters, 30%, so the active versus the, uh, the normal registered voters, but I want to talk about the Democratic Party in particular. So the Democrats have an open primary, and so these are the numbers people may not know. 209,000 registered Democrats in the state of Utah, and 194,000 people cast a ballot for the Democratic Party. It is interesting. In Utah, we actually have a significant number of voters that are registered as unaffiliated voters, so they haven't selected a party. And because the Democrats have left their primaries open to unaffiliated voters, you saw a lot of people who were unaffiliated who were kind of interested in and wanted to cross over and, and have a say in whittling down that list of candidates on the Democratic side. So I think I think that's probably where you saw that uptick of numbers. Um, you know, there's uh, obviously been a a whole year plus worth of, of debates and things like that on the Democratic side. So there's a lot of interest there, I think, among, among Utahns nationally to, to be able to be part of the Super Tuesday, which we've never done before. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how many people went to that side, but I want to get to the Republican side for just a minute as well. Donald Trump, Jason, 88% of the vote. Not surprising, almost nine out of 10, and, and you can understand that he is a sitting president, and so uh, typically that, that would be the kind of support. What I'm a, I'm a bit surprised by is uh, just over about 55% of Utahns support, uh, uh, admit to supporting the president, and what's kind of confusing to me is on, in a state where 
generally speaking, uh, morality, integrity, honesty are values that are hold very uh, closely and espoused by most people, certainly in our po uh, political arena. But the president, objectively speaking, uh, embodies none of those things. And, and I'm always a bit kind of perturbed that he even has a higher approval rating than our own uh, congressional delegation because people, for, for reasons that are a bit uh, confusing to me. Uh, they, they seem to support him one way or the other. Well, the Republicans, it was 46% turnout for Republicans. So given all the stuff right there, kind of explain why maybe Republicans stayed so engaged in this as this Super Tuesday, because maybe one might think that they wouldn't have. Well, but again, this is the presidential election. And I think, and particularly in America in general, uh, this is the time when they feel most empowered to choose the person who's gonna run the country, who most called the most powerful politician in the world. Uh, and this is an opportunity to be involved in that. So even though it's a primary, and even though he was going to win uh, handily anyway, it gives people the excitement to look forward to coming to November. We're only a, a few months away from that. And now we're kind of getting down to the nitty gritty, to the point where we're really going to begin to have, they've whittled down the Democratic candidates to about, you know, now two, essentially. Uh, this is going to be the time when we really find out who it is that's going to be the next president of the United States. You know, if I could, uh, it, it, it will be a surprise to nobody that I've been geeking out all week <laughs> on on numbers, and I, I've yeah. been I've been looking through the numbers of votes in Utah, and uh, when we look at the voter turnout, actually, when you look at the Republican turnout, the last time we had a presidential primary in Utah was 2008. Mitt Romney and John McCain were both in it at that point. Uh, and uh, Republican turnout was higher then than it is, than it was this last time around. Now more, more Republicans voted this time around, but as compared to the population increase, once you take that into effect and the population of registered voters, actually Republican turnout was down. It's the Democrats that fueled that uptick, that record number of votes for presidential primary. So um, Democratic, uh, uh, voting increased by more than 40 percent from 2008 to 2000 uh, or to 2020, and um, Republican voting increased by just around seven percent. And so, while registered votes, uh, in, registered voters increased by 12 percent. So Republicans were not excited to really participate in this election quite so much. Very interesting. Let's talk about uh, some of the after effects of the uh, the mail-in ballots, Kate, because that was what we were hearing from a lot of people. So mm -hmm. let's say what well, this this great analysis that Max just gave on the numbers there. So uh, there are a lot of Utahns that got their ballot for the Democratic Party and they sent it in pretty early, only to find on the night of. Oh. Mm -hmm. Now so many of those candidates remained. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've been a fan of the mail-in in balloting. It's increased our voter turnout. Yeah. It's made things a lot easier for people. And you're in Davis County, and Davis mm -hmm. County does better than almost any other county that yeah, way. Yeah, that's correct. And yeah. so when I received my ballot, um, because it's one of those things where you don't want to like lose it on your desk with all the papers, I did immediately fill it mm -hmm. out and put it back in the mail. Now, I will confess, mine was a Republican ballot. Mm -hmm. So perhaps my choices were a little bit different. Um, but as as candidates dropped out of the race, the closer you got to our Super Tuesday, it did really change people's choices. If you mm -hmm. had mailed yours in like I did right away, and then your choice decided to withdraw from the race, how did you feel about that? It's, I, it's, one of my friends approached yeah. me and said, you know, my son uh, put his ballot in for, uh, for P3 
Pete Buttigieg, and he's wondering if he can change that now because Pete pulled out on Sunday. Um, and so, yeah, those those questions came up. Yeah, we have this ranked cho choice voting um, test pilot that has taken place in some cities. They did it in the municipal races last year, and I think this has really kind of brought that uh, discussion back up to a different level to say, should we do this as, as a state? Because it's likely that in future election cycles we'll have a similar phenomenon on one side or the other of the political spectrum where you have multiple candidates, yeah. someone might drop out, and you want to feel like your your vote counted, like it mattered. Yeah. And for some people, they might feel like it didn't this year because their preferred candidate dropped out after they'd already mailed in. Yeah, Jason, that has been quite the topic of conversation, whether or not that should happen. Well, really, this race for number two becomes important a little bit, right. uh, just in case one of these, your, your, t your number one drops out, which several of them did. I appreciate what you're saying. You know, if you were to have ranked ballots, because especially in primaries, this is obviously the time when it would count to be able to at least then have kind of a fallback position that someone you, you would support, it then again, you, you are still engaged in the democratic process, which is what, what uh, Kate was talking about, to then have, have a, the situation we have now where essentially your vote didn't count. Uh, that, that would be disappointing to me as well. Now, as it turns out, the candidate uh, I happen to vote for was still in the race, but if I were the person who might have voted for uh, for Mayor Pete or for uh, Amy Klobuchar, that would have been quite disappointing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I, a, a couple of things. Uh, Nevada, in their caucuses this year, two weeks ago, did use a form of ranked choice voting, um, so that uh, so that people who uh, couldn't make it to their caucus, they got to turn in ballots and they ranked their candidates. So that in a caucus, you know, we don't need to go into all those things, but if a, if their candidate wasn't viable, then the person in charge of that caucus room would just move them mm -hmm. down to their next choice or their next choice until one of their candidates was viable, and it seemed to work there. Uh, another thing, though, that I uh, think is important to note here is that this is a wonderful argument for procrastination, right. which is one of my great yeah. strengths in life, and uh, you know, just put it off until the end, and then you'll know what the landscape well, is. That may be what happens now. Well, it does raise the question: We've, as we've gone to mail-in balloting, we've reduced the number of polling places because uh -huh. we've, yeah, we've, right. we've mm -hmm. given you a longer window, and we've mailed them directly to you. If you procrastinate, mm -hmm. then you can have the problem you had in California with the long lines in LA, where you know, can people, uh, working people, spend two hours, three hours in line waiting to vote? Mm -hmm. It, it does seem to me to say, let's further investigate this yeah. ranked choice option. Yeah. You know, uh, but I, I and, and I want to bring up something. This is this is not uh, uh, contradicting your point at all. Um, you mentioned the the fewer uh, polling locations, and I don't want to finish this conversation without mentioning that Weber County tried something this year where they had one polling location in the entire county, um, and it was at Union Station downtown. Last time around, they had six in each of the public libraries. They're trying to say, hey, you know what, we have mail-in voting, so not that many people are doing this, um, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make, it's not efficient, it's not logistically sensible to, to have all these places, but the ACLU sent observers to those county libraries, and they counted at least 200 people who showed up to vote at their county library, uh, and, uh, and there was no voting there. And I, I would just say that when it comes to voting, the job of an elections official is not to make it easy for the elections official, it's to make it easy for the voter. Yeah, exactly. For the right. voter. Uh -huh. uh, before we leave this one a little bit, I just think we should just take a moment on the fact that Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. uh, won uh, big. big in the state of Utah. 34%, 35% is what he got, it looks like, as of our accounting here. That's a big one. Does this surprise you at all, Jason? It absolutely did, honestly. Because uh, I, I always feel like people here are a bit more conservative, you know? And uh, Bernie's you know, as far uh, left as you could possibly go. However, maybe it does show that we have not been paying attention. 
and that there are, there's this bigger push for some of the uh, the uh, at least campaign uh, ideas that he has that people are be beginning to it's beginning to resonate with people and they want uh, that as an option for them to vote. He has huge rallies, right? When he came, he uh, in our caucus 2016, I think it was 79% of the vote in those caucuses. Utah's been consistently with him. It's an interesting phenomenon, and he does he does drive big crowds, almost like what you see with with President Trump and his mm -hmm. rallies. He, they both drive really big crowds. You know, it's often been described that because Utah is a conservative state, um, because we're often described as a one-party state, there is some thought that maybe that does free up those that, that feel like, mm -hmm. you know, they're in the, the minority po uh, party position here, that they can go to the farther spectrum of their own party mm -hmm. um, because they feel like it's, um, it's so important to provide that contrast. And so instead of providing a contrast closer in the moderate or, or centrist uh, point of view, they're picking a candidate on the far side to just show how much they reject where the majority uh -huh. is. And so that, that might be part of the phenomenon you see um, with a primary vote for Bernie. And it'll be interesting to see if Utahns mm -hmm. on the Democratic side maybe, you know, uh, start to, to move in future polls. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, I think that uh, uh, Sanders does very well in the West. He, uh, you know, when, when you look at that map, uh, as you go through the east and the southeast and the Midwest, Biden really cleaned up. And then even in Texas, Biden did well. But as you got to the, the western states, uh, Bernie Sanders won Colorado, Utah, and California. Mm -hmm. And he does particularly well with the younger voters. Mm -hmm. Part of that, uh, to that point, right? So many people here are young. So many people here enjoy outdoors. Uh, so issues like uh, public lands, issues like freedom to be able to move and do the things, the kind of things that you enjoy. Climate to, change. Climate change. Yeah. Certainly climate change in, in this valley. And and then the idea that um, you are looking for someone who will champion those things for you going forward. And as a young person, those would be the things that uh, again resonate most uh, closely to you. So Bernie would be perfect for them. In in some way, uh, he's kind of uh, a pretty good idea of what the West is. These are people who want to do more for themselves. They want to have open space. They want to have a, pl a way to enjoy all of this. And Bernie is trying to tell them, I want to give you an opportunity to do all of that. And so that's, I think that's why they, uh, they kind of gravitate toward what uh, his message is. And in the caucuses four years ago, uh, Bernie Sanders just really cleaned up, really clobbered Hillary Clinton in Utah. Um, he he got about half of that this time around right. in terms of percentage, um, about the same number of votes, really. Uh, and so it could be those same those same voters, uh, but a whole lot more people voted with the mail-in ballots, a primary rather than a caucus. Mm -hmm. I want to spend a second on how people are feeling about uh, kind of their elected officials for a moment as we start getting to some of the big events that are happening around the rest of the country. So uh, a, a poll we just released, the Hinkley Institute with the Deseret News, uh, had a pretty high approval rating for President Trump, 55%, which is one of the highest we've seen, turns out higher than most of our, all of our congressional delegation in, in terms of, of that. And it's, it's kind of linked to this one question we asked with it. Uh, do Utahns feel like they are better off today than they were three years ago? It's kind of kind of get a sense of how people are. Uh, and it was 65% of Utahns, Kate, I want to see what you think about it. 65% of Utahns said yes, they're better off, 28% uh, uh, Overall, 65% said yes, 6% uh, said no overall. But what was interesting is 77% of Republicans, you might expect that, said they're better off. But 54% of Democrats also said better off. 
Well, it's hard to argue with what's been happening with our economy the last uh, several years. Um, until very recently with the coronavirus, you know, the stock market has been on this tremendous run. Um, unemployment nationally, mm -hmm. incredibly low. In Utah, even lower. Um, you know, we, we've had functional full employment for over yeah. a year. Um, the economy's doing well, and often when the economy is doing well and consistently doing well, people feel like that is a reflection of, of the person in the top yeah. job. Fair or not, that's kind of where, where people assign, you know, uh, that, that it's the top job that is the result of those good economic trends we're seeing. Yeah. You always been the economy, right? The, uh, the idea is if the economy does well, then the president does well. It, and like you say, whether it's to his credit or not, because in all honesty, it, the, uh, the people in that job, they have other people working for them to help those mechanisms. And I think mm -hmm. people, they want to know, is their 401k doing well? People, A couple of things. Deep Red Utah, Republican president, economy is soaring, 55%, not that big a number, really. I mean, uh, you, you think about if uh, if it were Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush in there, imagine what that number would be. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and the yeah. second thing is, um, imagine if you took that poll today. Uh, and, and I think that people are really worried about coronavirus, and there's some real serious concerns about how the national government's mm -hmm. handling it. Be interesting to see how this plays with these Democratic candidates as well, if they can reclaim. Yeah. If that argument is true, it'd be very interesting to watch. Let's turn to what's happening with our, our local legislature. We only have a week left. We're all very sad about that. Uh, a week from yesterday uh, is when it ends. Uh, I want to talk about some of the interesting efforts on uh, let's call it tax reform, right? Because uh, they repealed the tax reform. Kate wanted to hear you because you're in the in the trenches on this one, right? We're still talking about some potential efforts. Let's talk about what what might be coming and how they're really trying to rectify this. Our legislature trying to rectify this balance of a pretty good amount of money in the education fund, not so much in the general fund. Yeah. So. To take the viewers back just a little bit, in 2019, we started on this tax reform effort. The legislature introduced a bill fairly late. Um, it didn't quite have legs. There was a little out, outcry about it. So we launched into a 2019 summer of tax reform, culminating in a special session uh, with, a, with a tax reform bill. It had a lot of moving parts. It was fairly complicated. And um, voters weren't understanding all that part, all those moving parts. And so there, you know, after the legislature passed in a special session, there was a signature gathering effort. It looked like it would be successful. So really in the opening days of the session, the legislature pulls that back yeah. and says, okay, do over. Um, and so for the next several weeks, as we've done our legislative session, the legislature has had discussions. There's been several different bills introduced that are portions of what was in the tax reform package. None of them have made it tremendously far in part because there's been a lot of um, leadership discussion about what to, what to do. Um, you know, obviously voters spoke fairly uh, convincingly with their signature gathering efforts on sales tax on food. Um, so now we're getting to the waning days. It seems like people are starting to coalesce maybe around doing something, but you've also got this overriding, what do we do if, if the coronavirus yeah. impacts our, our economy and our, our output right. here in Utah? So it's, you're still hearing some interesting things about maybe we want to address this constitutional earmark question we have, where, where we, again, we have tremendous amount of money in our education fund almost $900 million, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and then not very much in our general fund. Um, and so it's really impacting some of the decisions of what, what can be funded and what can be done this year at the state capitol. Uh -huh. Let's talk about this resolution, Max, if you yeah. mind de describing this a little bit, because it would take a change to our Constitution uh -huh. to expand from this education, maybe what the definition of education is. The language in this resolution is uh, funds could be spent to support children and to support individuals with a disability. Yeah, what yeah. does that mean? So, so essentially, uh, the, the, the way Utah's funds are, Utah's 
revenue is structured is that you take in money from sales tax, which has traditionally been a huge mm -hmm. pot of money, but has consistently declined in recent years with uh, internet purchasing, that sort of thing, and we're a service economy now as well. Um, and, and so that's declining, and that funded m most of the things we think about as government, except education. Education funded entirely through income tax, and income tax was earmarked, as you said, um, for simply for education. Every dollar you spend on income tax goes to schools. Um, and so if you want to use that income tax for something else, you have to change the state constitution. Um, now, I, w I would say, though, you know, okay, $900 million in the income tax thing, uh, where are we still? In in spending per pupil, 50th, 51st if you include uh, District of Columbia. We're not catching up with 49 uh -huh. anytime soon. Um, so, so sure, it's uh, you know you can say that there's all that money, but uh, I, I, I. I think the legislature has gotten itself into trouble time and time again with propositions and with these tax issues in thinking that the real problem is that uh, we understand and voters don't. We understand and the people don't. And if they understood what we understand, then then everything would be good. Um, maybe listen to what the people are saying. Maybe mm -hmm. there's something that they do understand and, and uh, craft policy around that. That arrogance is what got them in trouble with this last uh, effort to uh, overturn the tax reform. If lawmakers have to realize that we as voters and, and, and just everybody watching is that they do pay attention, and particularly when it comes to their money. And so rather than consider themselves you know, in the know and the rest of us kind of outside of that, they should be more respectful of the wishes of the people that put them in office. Mm -hmm. uh Talking about uh, the legislatures trying to get to some of those big ticket items. Okay, so what is what is inside of those 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 kind of those buckets of children and individuals individuals with disabilities? Because that mm -hmm. if if you open up the education fund to those, maybe we should dig into that a little bit. What that means? What programs come into that? Yeah. So if if this constitutional uh, amendment were to pass and you were to expand this definition, which would also take a vote of the people in November. Um, you could bring in the children's health insurance program because that would be for kids. So in addition to your traditional K through 12 education, um, the children's health insurance program. So yeah. this is a this is a large program, and, and healthcare costs, of course, continue to rise. And, and uh, there, and then um, for people with disabilities, that would also bring in the state Medicaid funds potentially, which is another which is public education and Medicaid have always vied for the one two yeah, spot right. in our state budget. Mm -hmm. So you could shift the estimates, the early estimates are almost uh, $600 million with yeah. this shift. Does, does that fix the imbalance our legislature's been talking about? If, uh, if more of the uh, education fund is able to offload some of the general fund expenses? I think they believe it does, um, which is, why they've, which, which is uh -huh. why they've proposed that specific expansion of four children, yeah. four people with disabilities. Uh, the, the question would be, I think, um, given that the two, these two kind of healthcare areas they've identified expanding to are areas that, especially in, in hard economic times, can balloon yeah. significantly. Um, and so would you, would you then put these two biggest areas of our state budget together kind of sharing our income tax and then leave a whole bunch of smaller things in sales tax? And it's yet to be determined. Every state does these earmarks differently. They fund education in yeah. different ways. We're the only one that does it this way. Perhaps it's not working for us because, as Max pointed out, we continue to be last in, in student funding. Um, and it's left us with these interesting budget challenges. But would this idea be better? 
Okay. I don't Go think we know yet. Go ahead, and then I got Real question. Uh, so, if what you say is true, that we're considering, we have to use our income taxes to pay for all of these things, why would they then be considering potentially reducing uh, the income tax, the well, rate of income tax. The interesting thing is that, you know, there's been this poll uh, recently that came out that said that, that voters want their taxes reduced. I mean, who, who loves paying taxes? No one <laughs> loves paying taxes. So yeah, you, want a, yeah. you want a tax cut. And for most people, that means an income tax cut. But for our state, that income tax comes out of funds for, for yeah, education. Right, right. So this is one of those where it's, it is kind of complicated. Um, and sometimes I think when you're doing a, a short polling question, that might not be uh, you know, fully explain to the person taking it, and they may not understand these nuances of Utah's income tax compared to, say, federal income tax and the way that we've especially put them into these different budget accounts. Okay. Uh, a connected issue, but it's underlying a lot of the discussions in our legislature, is how they're going to handle economic impacts of coronavirus, as yes. we've already, has been a theme here even just a little bit in all that we've been talking about today. Max, talk about what's happening as, as our state. I know you've been covering it. Yeah. All right, what is, what's the state approach? Where are we on this? Well, you know, the, the, the governor came out uh, very seriously from the start uh, with his uh, monthly news conference in this same studio actually and in, in taking this very seriously and then uh, just this week they held uh, a public news conference uh, to introduce their uh, task force led by uh, the lieutenant governor Spencer Cox and they had the epidemiologist from uh, the State Department of Health and and uh, suggesting that they're on top of it and quite honestly um, as we look at uh, as we look at the the conflicting messages at the national level where the the doctors at the CDC are saying one thing and then the president says, well, we only have 15 cases and that's going to be down to almost zero, you know, soon. And um, we know right now that that was a ridiculous statement. Um, and uh, and our governor uh, was was never. Um, communicating in that way uh, fr from the start uh, taking it seriously so I, I I think that we can trust that they're uh, that they're trying to do their best I, I hope that uh, I hope that nationally we can see the same thing happening yeah. go ahead Jason the politics of this one it's this interesting is, how that becomes part of it even as Max was talking it's very difficult because you know you you can only do so much and in, in, in policy you try to create an opportunity to be able to help your citizenry as much as possible but then it's also incumbent upon us as citizens to do what we can to monitor ourselves monitor the health of people around us and do the best we can to prevent the spread as much as we can okay mm -hmm. uh, the legislature's creating some rainy day funds to take care of this they are the legislature is talking about setting aside 16.5 million dollars um, for coronavirus impacts they're also um, proposing setting aside uh, almost $100 million for the education budget in, in case our economy slows down as a result of this. The money they're setting aside for coronavirus impacts is, is I'm told, mostly going to be for epidemiologists so that we can do quick testing. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, already at the state capitol, there's signs up saying we don't we don't shake hands anymore. You can do the, yep. the funky chicken yep. or, yep. you know, finger no guns. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's having an impact. Everyone is very careful. Everyone, you know, there's hand sanitizers everywhere, but, um, you know, those funds are being set aside now. No, just in case. It's got to be the last comment watching this so closely. Thank you for your insights tonight. Much appreciated. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.